0: Check the mic and make sure it sound right,
1: boys. Hello everyone, welcome back. I'm your host, Barrymore. My next guest has been riding motorcycles ever since he was a young boy. He's raced professionally in motocross and off-road. He suffered a number of injuries, making him believe that maybe it was time to stop riding forever. One day, he got an invitation to the Red Bull Outliers, and now he's getting ready to go to Italy to race with Six Days. Coming up next, this is Jared Stock. Uh, You're Jared Stock out of Calgary.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, You've done a handful of these now. You've been busy.
1: Yeah, I've been pretty busy. Uh, I've I've got a few in the can, as they say, that I need to to edit. Um, And then what I've noticed as I'm doing it is, while we each have an individual conversation. There tends to be, there seems to be like a a story arc happening over top. I think it's because I'm the same guest on every episode, whereas everybody else changes. But I, I try not to talk a lot. I try to let uh, all the guests have the the have the floor, and I all just right. ask a couple of questions, and then whatever, sit back.
0: We just blab on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, people love to talk.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially about themselves, right?
1: <laughs> well, that and, and I feel like they like to talk about the things they're interested in. Totally. Um, and yeah, like and motorcycles for whatever reason seems to be a, a genre everyone's interested in, at least the people that I've been I've been talking to. Uh, sure. And you're you're big into motorcycles.
0: Yes. Yep. Big part of my life.
1: Yeah. I tried to, How'd I you tried get, to, get, to f-
0: get away from them, but they, they keep coming back.
1: The the my I guess the last time motorcycles tempted you was the 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 Red Bull uh, Outlanders in in Calgary?
0: yeah the outliers there i outliers are I, I did uh yeah that was one of the first uh rides in between my last concussion where i took a few years off uh, and so yeah i was just in and out of racing and it wasn't riding at all but every once in a while i thought hey opportunity comes and that's a pretty good cool opportunity to do that so i uh, jumped on that i jumped on board even though i probably shouldn't have didn't do very good wasn't really into it at that time so But it was worth it. I was working downtown like two blocks away. So I was like, I can't just have this going on two blocks away and not participate, right?
1: Yeah, fair enough. And not doing well doesn't matter. Like, uh, as long as you had fun. like,
0: Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I don't think any other time in my life I was going to say, you know, it might have been that one opportunity that I said, hey, I rode my motorcycle downtown Calgary. And that was probably only going to happen a handful of times, if not more than once. So, yeah.
1: and it was a pretty crazy track <laughs> and it crazy was. conditions like
0: the conditions made it a bit extreme. I think the track was going to be extreme to begin with. And then, uh, the snow made it difficult, more difficult than it was, you know, going to be. And then they tamed it down and still like, you gotta be, you know, really into that scene and really know what you're doing. Good bike set up and driving around that wet, slippery stuff just was. A bit much for me anyways.
1: Well um I listened to an interview that you had regarding that uh that whole experience. And you didn't even have a bike when you when you signed up for it. The bike that you're on, was that a, a borrowed bike or was it your bike?
0: It was a borrowed bike, actually. Yeah, my suspension guy, Ken McCurdy at TNT, he uh uh it kind of all came together very very funny. Um, you know, I thought about doing the race, you know, I was like saw the advertisements, I'm like, that's really cool, but I'm like, I don't have a bike haven't been riding probably doesn't make sense to do it and then uh one of my contacts at red bull was like hey like i think uh this would be cool event if you could do it like i can uh can get you registered and i was like uh okay you know a big part of my life has been saying okay and then figuring out <laughs> however i'm gonna pull that off right and so uh ended up uh at the same time um uh my yeah such guy had a 250 XCW 2020 um a TPI bike and um he's like yeah I'd like to build some suspension setups and you know have that be a, kind of a promo and like if you wanted to ride the bike we can do that and I was like ah, why not let's do it uh so I ended up getting the bike and then we ended up doing the event with Direct Motocross and Fox um to do a little bit of a, a an article or a podcast experience around that so yeah, it ended up being like a lot more than just getting on the bike. It was a whole weekend of, of working together with those uh, companies and doing some promo stuff. So
1: it was fun. I liked it. That is sweet. How do you, how do you find like, uh, how how does it come around that these companies reach out to you? Like you said, you'd been a couple of years since you were racing.
0: Yeah. And so I think it was just, it just happened to be that the relationships I built over, Uh, that 10 year span of racing and um, I wasn't very intentional about being a very personable and and uh, well-rounded guy that just you know ended up getting along with everybody but um, you know I was never a big you know the national champion winner or anything like that motocross but you know doing a lot of riding schools and put myself out there volunteering lots and um, just ended up having good relationships with people and you know, I, I don't want to say it just happened. I, you know, looking back at it, I did put a lot of effort into making sure that, um, I was building those relationships. And, you know, once I figured out and read a little bit about, you know, the whole, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, yeah, and, and that sort of principle, I, I did spend a lot of time on making sure, I, you know, I was making good impressions. And then those relationships developed over, uh, handfuls of years. And, um, People, I think, feel like they want to, you know, the, the, the opportunity is to put, you know, a face behind the name or put a brand behind a name that, you know, people like to see. So, um, those relationships really, really took off, you know, with Foxes, you know, just trickled in years and years ago, um, with that small connection there. And then, you know, just ended up knowing, um, really well. And, um, and what we try to do locally so that kind of just really worked and then with direct motocross um got just some random opportunities to write articles on product testing and you know i, I kind of had a little um niche skill for being able to articulate some of the stories and and ideas behind some of the products that we were testing and so that kind of took off in a, in a way that put uh, put in the position now where i do all the off-road testing and articles for direct motocross um, Sweet. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, in the, in the long story short, it's is making good impressions, making good relationships and and being a guy that uh,
1: people want you to see in their brand. That's awesome. Yeah. Like um, how we got together is, um, I guess, a mutual friend just told mm-hmm. me how you're just a switched on guy. Like you're a really good guy to talk to. And that yeah. if anybody would want to be into this project, it's probably you. <laughs> Nice. And then, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah I reached out to you and then whatever, maybe 45 minutes later, like, yeah, sweet. Exactly. Oh
0: yeah. That is actually really interesting. And that, that is honestly a very good example of, uh, of I think how relationships are fostered. And I think the, but the best ones I've had in, in my life, you know, in, to, in and out of the motorcycle industry are, um, are those, and you know what, that's honestly how I start every relationship, you know, you know, you reached out and then, And, you know, I didn't know you per se, you know, you didn't know me, but I think we both went across it in a way that's like, you know, trusting, uh, exciting, you know, it's like, I trust everybody until they give me a reason not to. Right. And so you have that vulnerability or whatever the case is, like, I'll throw it all out there, be all in and, you know, give this an opportunity before, you know, for me to, or for us to do something before I say no, or before I'm scared or you shy away from an opportunity,
1: right? That's yeah, been this whole project, like from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I had no episodes out or anything like that. I reached out to a number of like, I don't know, we'll call them Instagram influencers. And uh, I'm nobody from nowhere. Uh, like I have like 12 friends on Instagram. <laughs> right, <laughs> but right. They're just like, sure. And then, uh, yeah, with no, no proof of product or, or, or concept, they're just in. And then now it's catching on. Spencer Wilton, changed my my show's format uh just the connection we had in that conversation just changed it all and now it's just like moto focus i feel bad for some of the other people who got on board early uh because they're just gonna disappear
0: right (laughs) right (laughs) like (laughs) well that's how things that work though right things transform and um you know that's cool that's a really good example of how yourself taking yourself put yourself out there and you know and that's the whole like you know take a shot and put yourself out there and evaluate and find your path versus analysis paralysis thinking about what you think will be the best thing sit there and sit and sit forever and you may never find what you want to do unless you just start doing and doing and doing and
1: doing yeah you got it I, I probably sat on this for a year before I even uh, did anything with it um not knowing who not like I wanted to have a podcast I didn't have a story didn't have a voice so I thought it'd be like the low-budget Canadian version of uh, Joe Rogan right and uh interview a number of people or whatever but then um yeah moto's where it's at like i not necessarily dirt biking or or motocross per se but motorcycles for sure totally yeah because they've been a big part of my life probably since i was 16 17 somewhere around there yeah right so and and i have a huge respect for the impact two wheels can have on any one life right? Like, uh, I'm sure you can remember your first motorcycle. That must've been like, m- nobody takes that for granted. It's like the greatest, but unless you're young, I mean like, you know, you're your motocrosser. So you might've started at three years old. For- yep. <laughs> I did. Yeah. There you go. So maybe you can't remember it, but yeah, I'm sure. I, sort of,
0: kind of, I mean, I've got way too many concussions to remember who I was before I was 15 years old.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I, I, I'm the same.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But so, I tried to.
1: Uh, I was told that your career, uh, you're a very competitive guy. You're like, uh, and uh, the only thing that ever held you back was injuries. Like,
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess, um, you know, I was pretty slow to become, you know, a contender, I would say. I think when I was younger, I probably wasn't as much of a competitive individual. I don't know where I learned it from, but it certainly isn't a natural thing for me. Yeah uh but now you know with with racing in particular my drive to want to be successful has really um taught me what skills i need to develop and and confidence kind of came with this competitiveness um and so yeah my my whole racing youth i was kind of the guy that was like oh i'll settle for second or third um, you know it's it is what it is i'm just happy to be here happy to be you know, have the opportunity to compete happy to finish the race and, and that's kind of it. And, um, you know, that kind of went through my entire, when I was racing motocross and, um, and the weird thing is, is that like back then I, w- I never pictured myself as a winner or as a champion. Like I, you know, I did win championships, but you know, I just, for some reason I can remember Clear's day being like, I'm not the guy to beat here today. You know, I belong at race the nationals. I belong in, I don't know, 12th. I think I can get 12th today or I, you know, it would be really cool if I could crack the top 10 and that was just kind of my attitude. And, and I think that's a lot of attitudes. And then, you know, something shifted. I started racing off road. Um, you know, it suited my, I think my type of athleticism a little bit better. And, um, and then I really started getting some success, uh, getting down to the States racing GNCCs, uh, racing for the six days team. And, and that really drove my, um, my eagerness. To win. And as long as some of the people I started hanging out with that time were just, you know, it sometimes it takes just having the right people in your life to tell yeah. you who you are. You know, the outside perspective drives a little bit of confidence. If you're like, hey man, like you're probably the best rider I've ever seen. And I'm like, Wow, no one's ever said that before. And then you know, and you start, you know, getting this confidence. And um, so I yeah, had this huge spike in like, well, dang, like, if I got this skill, I can't waste it. Like it's my responsibility to to go rock this thing. And so that was kind of in 2016. Um that I kind of got this edge. And then at that point, I was running I put everything into racing, flying to the States every two weeks, racing in Europe, you know, climbing the ladder down there, got to the podium in the A class, and then I just ran out of money. Um and so then I was trying to work full time. I was trying to train full time. I was trying to race full time and I wasn't able to really balance that. And so I, you know, I started teetering away in racing or teetering away in training and, but still trying to race coming back, leaving. And then I, I ended up getting a really bad concussion trying to race when I wasn't prepared to, had uh, too much stuff going on in life. I was stressed out. I was, you know, when things just don't happen together, um, you know, when, when you're not focused on being an athlete and, and, you know, being a hundred percent in that arena, life tends to come around and give you an old smack and go like, if you're not, if everything's not, I find if there's an athlete, if you're not on, if everything's not jiving and you're, you know, your life's got to be good in this arena for it to excel in this arena. Cause if you're not, you're thinking about this, but um, yeah. So I had a really bad, really bad concussion. It was probably my, you know, plus 10 or 12 or however many it was that at that time in my life, I just really you know, I've had lots and I've been able to recover them from them pretty quickly when I was younger. And this one just, uh, sat me down for, for a couple of years, I was, uh, returning, returning, um, or recycling concussion symptoms and I couldn't get out of it. I was stressed out. I was had anxiety through the roof. I, you know, I don't know what else to really say, but lots of, lots of, um, head pressures and, uh, just, it was a weird, weird thing. And, and so, I kind of thought at that point, you know, I wasn't supposed to be racing and, um, that's not maybe what I was supposed to do. And it was life telling me to sit down or we're going to force you to sit down kind of thing. Oh, wow. Um, and you know, I took that for a sign and anyways, I, you know, a couple of years away from bikes and life wasn't really getting any better. Um, I didn't feel satisfied. I struggled with like who I was, identity, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And. That was back in 2017, end of 2017. And uh, yeah, and then so 2020, I ended up getting back on a bike uh, with that same urge that, you know, I belong and I deserve an opportunity, or you know, I shouldn't say deserve an opportunity, but I feel like I do have the skill set and the I have what it takes to be, you know, one of the best in, in riding off-road in 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 what I want to do. And so um, you know, the, I got right back on here and, you know, I feel better than ever, even after taking like three and a half years off of, of racing. Um, and, um, you know, try to get back in shape, if not better shape than I've ever been really putting a hard focus in and, and, uh, yeah, I, I can't really explain why, you know, life put me down that path for a bit, but, um, you know, I took a lot of time off. There's a lot of big gap there for me to jump back into the scene now. and. And think that, you know, I can come back, but I am in a better mentality and better spot than I've ever been. In. And, and, uh, so now I feel like I'm the right, i the right path and just gonna keep kind of pushing forward with that.
1: I feel like motorcycle is a mental game. Like, uh, mm-hmm. from an early age, I was taught that, um, if you're not really focused on it, like, don't be riding. You know, it's, it's, uh, if while you're on the bike, you're thinking about work or the girl trouble or whatever. It's pretty much the same thing as drinking and driving. Like you need to be present and, uh, and focused. Otherwise you're at risk. Yeah. Maybe, maybe life was like, you seem to be focused too much on the periphery and not enough on the motorcycle. So we're going to let you take care of that shit. And then you can come back stronger.
0: You know what? That's, that's a damn good way to look at it. Certainly, certainly a good way to look at it and better than the way I've looked at it. And because I struggle with the thing of like, have I lost too much time, right? You know, while being away. Um, but there is no definition to how long a person needs, right? It's, you know, you're, I, I can't say that I took the last three and a half years off because of whatever reason, but you're right. Like, maybe nobody, I don't know the definition of how much time I needed, but you know, it was enough time for me to figure my stuff out figure out who I am and, and where I excel and where I belong. And now I am here today and, and I can't look back at that with regret or else it'll just kind of always be that pessimistic yeah, no, no. outlook.
1: Yeah. That stuff's in the past. Like right. motorcycles is about the present and the future. Absolutely. You know, uh, if you spend time looking back, man, you'll just trip over it. Totally. Absolutely. So then um, you're back in the scene. What What are your short-term goals and long-term goals?
0: So yeah, back in the scene, I actually quit my uh, job with uh, oil and gas downtown Calgary um, to make a move back to. Uh, I actually moved back to Medicine Hat a couple oh, wow. days ago. And that's where I broke, born and raised, grew up racing, and I had an opportunity to uh, to get into the uh, the dealership here and work my way into uh, you know a home here and yeah. you know a long term opportunity for me. Um, which is super awesome um, for me because it allows me to put my head on and go, I know where I need to be in life as far as investments and, you know, retiring and all this kind of stuff that you kind yeah. of always think about as you get a little bit older. Adulting. Adulting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I really think I really needed that to lock that into, you know, a path in life, yeah. uh, quote unquote, and so that I could also excel I'm ten times busier with this than I you know was with my downtown job but i I just can know in my mind I can lock it in and then I can now put my less time that I had before but it's more precise I know where I'm going and I can schedule it in and I'm just more relaxed if I can train and ride with my full heart content
1: that's so amazing
0: i I guess short term short term goals is um I've put a lot of focus on training. Um, I've combined a lot of the training that I did when I was super successful back in my, uh, initial off-road days. And I'm really focusing on a lot of, um, training, like body specific, cell specific, how to, you know, be more of an endurance athlete in these longer races. So yeah. I'm really getting like really serious about training because I need, you know, again, I'm going to check all those boxes. So I don't have any excuses. Um, and then, uh, as far as racing goes, like, I'm not sure, you know, what I want to race around in Alberta and Canada, you know, not a lot of it interests me, uh, in a, in a, uh, competitive sense. Like, I think I'd like to be at the races, uh, as part of a bike, sh- as my, uh, as part of the bike shop, load my van, have art to do race support. I love to see people compete. I, l- I love to support people competing and be there uh, as a coach more than I do. I think as a competitor in, in the Alberta stuff and. Um, and whether it's motocross or off-road, but for me, my heart in racing is in the GNCCs in the States. Um, it's where I really, you know, my goal to excel and and do well is there. Um, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd be there yeah, last for weekend, sure. I'd be there the next weekend, uh, you know, doing everything I can. It's just really hard to come back every two weeks, quarantine for two weeks, go down. Like it's actually impossible for me
1: with yeah, my work. Man.
0: So, so the short term is. Um, just being super, super fit and healthy, getting fast and uh, being on the six days team for 2021. Yeah. Um, so, you know, n- not officially on the team yet, but I have a, a good feeling that, um, you know, I have that opportunity ahead of me here in the, in the next few months. And then if everything goes forth, even with COVID and everything, uh, we'll be in Italy in uh, late August to uh, compete on the, the world stage again. So that'll be kind of like the, this year, this year's uh goal.
1: And that's pretty sweet, though. Like, yeah, that's a dream goal for some people. so For sure, <laughs> you're you're like super humble about it, but yeah, yeah, going to, you know, I, to race six days in Italy sounds pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, for sure, it is. Honestly, it's a, it is kind of weird to say like, oh yeah, like yeah, I did, I have raced the six days in Italy once before. So every once in a while, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of wish it was somewhere else. I'd like to go, but it's at the yeah. same day, you Gotta put it from another perspective. It's awesome. You know, yeah. it's a really cool opportunity. I, you know, I got to be grateful for it. And uh, yeah, I get a really heartwarming, fuzzy feeling when I, you know, think about racing on behalf of, you know, a country, uh, yeah. a country that I really love, and, um, uh, you know, proud to, to wear the colors and, and wave the flag, and uh, you know, be one of the people chosen to do that is is an awesome feeling for sure.
1: I'm yeah, man. I'd be pretty pat- like I'd be stoked. I, I'm yeah. I'm not even good enough to fill your tank with gas, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you could do it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I we understand need the concept. To fill gas tanks too, so. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Fair enough. You need you need your roadie. Let me know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you had like uh, a coaching. Um, I don't know. I want to call it a company, but that doesn't seem like the right term.
0: No, that's uh, a. The uh, that's the right term. I think you nailed it.
1: And are, are you still, I guess, now that you're medicine hat, uh, clients have to come to you?
0: Yeah. And so, actually, during COVID, I put a huge focus on having an app developed. Yeah. And so, I, uh, you know, I couldn't, none of the tracks were open, A, and then, you know, if I were yeah. truly following the guidelines, I wasn't allowed to, to be person to person anyways. And so, uh, I had an app developed or. Uh, piggybacked an app that was already developed, um, for a coaching platform. And so I can design all my drills online. Um, so I videoed myself to do a lot of the drills that I teach and then people can watch them, uh, upload the videos right from their phone of themselves riding. And then I can kind of break it down like on SportsCenter, center jaw with the blue circle and go, Hey, I need you to try this, try this, try this, try this, and re-upload the video back to me. And, um, it's been working really cool. I only have a couple of clients that, you know, I really, uh, it's, it was in kind of beta phase or alpha, yeah. whatever the, the phases that beta. in the works beta. Um, and so I've had a couple people using it. Um, and I just haven't, um, this year was just really busy and I haven't had the chance to like push it forth, um, to a whole bunch of people. And so, you know, it kind of worked out that, you know, I developed it before the opportunity to move back to medicine had happened. And so now that I'm not in Calgary, where, you know, the handful or the majority of my clientele would be, um, you know, there is that opportunity, hopefully, that I can leverage that that technology and continue those the, those coaching relationships. I'd like to. I'd love to. I really love coaching. It's something that not only, I think, helps, you know, grow the sport and the people in it, but it really helped me. Uh, yeah. As an individual, I had to learn a lot of skills, a lot of communication skills, um, helped me understand motorcycles more, having to learn about if you if you are coaching something, A, you should know a lot about it. But also, uh, if you don't, the more you try to understand it, the more you do understand it. And the more you, you think about it, you kind of discover more things on how to do it better. And so, yeah, it's actually made me quite a bit better of a rider. And I I can hear myself when I'm on the track being like, oh yeah, you told so-and-so they should try this. Maybe you should do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so it's good. I love it. Um, I'd love to do it more often. um, It's certainly uh, something I enjoy doing. So I think there'll be, you know, granted that we can do these group events and stuff like that coming up. I still will, um, you know, take the opportunity to do some big group schools. Uh, whether that's with motocross or off-road type schools. Um yeah, so that it'll be good. I, I I should be able to back in that this year.
1: I don't know. I know you're a big motocross guy, but like it off road is that really where you slot like where you where it sings for you? Like off road's your jam?
0: Off road is my jam and my jelly and my marmalade, all of the above. Yeah. Um it uh you know the faster off-road stuff. They know there there's lots of virgins. I you know we can umbrella off-road into lots of stuff. Oh yeah, summer, yeah, Hard enduro and stuff like that. But for me, I'm still a fast-paced adrenaline junkie. You know, cruising, cruising as fast as I can through the trees, and you know, and that's kind of like the GNCC It's really fast-paced stuff. Same with the six days, really fast-paced stuff. Um, and so I could never ride a motocross track again and be a completely happy individual. It's, you know, my heart certainly doesn't lie within the motocross stuff anymore. Um, I'd rather I'd sooner go into an open field and burn a grass track in. I Mm -hmm. just love, you know, it takes, there's a lot of technique involved in off-road and a lot of um, just small skills. You know, the intensity is high, but at the same time you got to be, yeah, there's just so much focused on these little skill sets and, um, you know, pushing a little bit better here and here and a little faster here and here. And I guess that's the same with motocross, but I don't know what it is. I, I honestly couldn't put my put my tongue on or my finger on what exactly has, you know, made me fall in love with racing off-road more than motocross, but it certainly is uh, where my heart kind of desires and it loves to be. And it, I could, any day of the week load up my van and head to the woods and be super pumped just to be on my bike. I'm just really happy every time I load my bike, same feeling, really excited. Whereas in motocross, I guess I kind of, it almost started feeling a bit too like, I don't know, I got stressed out easily. I was like so much commotion and action around and it it just wasn't my personality, I guess. I'm a bit more of a, you know, out in the woods kind of person. So maybe that's it.
1: Urban versus rural.
0: <laughs> yeah, it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know what it is. I it maybe it's a personality thing, and and I really do think my my skill sets on a motorcycle are just more, you know, better better tuned to you know going fast through the woods than going fast on a multiple lap track kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's fair. Uh, I I've never encountered a deer on a motocross track, but I have in the woods.
0: Exactly. Down in the States, it's a real... There's way more snakes and alligators and <laughs> deer and frogs and ticks. Oh, it's, it's, Like, it's a constant threat down there, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Life's in danger. Just
0: I remember that, this one GNCC. I hopped out of the van, jumped into the back of the van, and by the time I got there, I had like three or four ticks on my legs, and I was like, oh, no. It was like my nightmare.
1: What's a GNCC uh, event like? Uh,
0: it is... Um yeah basically you roll into a open field the park and then uh there's a it's a 3 hour endurance off road race but wide open, uh, wide like open. the fat, fastest dudes on the planet and and females on motorcycles ripping through the woods it's um and 3 hours like all out average heart rates probably for the top guys and, and gals this is between 150 to 180 like the entire time it's super intense um and the track is you do about six or you do six 20, 20 kilometer laps okay. uh, over the three hours. And so um, about that on, on average say, and uh, it's just the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Harder than any workout I've done any race I've done in all over the world. Uh, it doesn't matter what those are the hardest races I've ever tried to compete in. And I think that's part of the reason I'm so drawn to doing them is because uh, I have this desire to want to just be so fit and fast that I can go down there and, and, you know, be in the top top handful of people and still not having my tongue stuck in my sprocket going into two hours and fifty two minutes and wishing I'd never started this race.
1: <laughs> it's like uh it looks intense i i didn't even know about GNC, uh, gncc until last year last summer and yeah. uh uh then i watched it and it's just like just mud and chaos yep. oh, and so hundreds rough, of too. like thousands of people just thousands almost, it's insane we we don't yeah. have anything like that here we
0: don't and then- I do you know we might have the interest in it to do something like that but we don't have the land access like down there it's normally all on a private private property so they could do whatever they want nobody's you know gonna argue the fact cuz it's what they want to do with their own property and we just don't have a somebody with property that's willing to do that likely and then we don't have enough people that would be willing to do that and we certainly ain't doing it on crown land
1: <laughs> no they'd be pretty upset yes that that brings me to like a, a pretty big topic that's come up a lot: the threat of land access for riders in Alberta. Uh, totally. It seems as though um, by our nature of just not, I guess, by our nature of assuming we always have access, there are people working against it, and one day we're going to find out we don't have it.
0: Yeah, it's a terrifying thought. Um, you know, this 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 life with nowhere to ride and my motorcycle in the woods is terrifying. I'd move. I'd have to move. Like I wouldn't be able to live life without it. It is a bit frustrating because, you know, hate's a strong word, but I'm going to stick with it. You know, what we're communicated through and to and the things we're communicated to, like as as an everyday average person uh, like myself who enjoys that stuff, you really got to like research and look into these things to make sure that you're on top of it. Will get advertised, you know, the latest and greatest thing on Instagram and TikTok and all these things to be distracted by what actually is happening. Right. So I just don't think it's, it's difficult, you know, to, to have anybody be in the know of what's real and what's true and what's happening. But yeah, it's, it's a scary thing, you know, a scary thing that is happening. And I, and I just don't know how much control we actually have over it. You know, like I'd like to see, you know, who actually is in charge and who's actually pulling the strings to make this stuff happen because then the guy could you know maybe understand i i i honestly haven't spent you know enough time to actually figure out or know what can i do you know next to being a person and an individual uh that's you know advocating for this stuff and talking to your local governments and stuff like that to to, to try and stand up for it and um you know is it really going to help when you actually you know get your your voice out there mm-hmm. and I remember I think maybe I'm a bit of a pessimist with it because when I was real real young um, in Medicine Hat growing up we uh, I lost our local motocross track and off-road riding area when I was probably yeah I don't know 10 or something like that and you know I you know my family did everything we possibly could to advocate for this for this, plat- or this place and we did everything you know we showed up to the city meetings we did everything we possibly could we met with all the environmentalists we met with the, the council members We met with everybody, all interested parties, and you know all of our efforts went on deaf ears. It seemed like because we lost the track, anyways, didn't matter what we said, like there was never going to be a win-win situation to that. And it took seven or eight years to to lobby to get something back that was an eighth of the the potential of a piece of land for us to go do something on. And, And you're just told to be grateful that you get something, but it's just a lot of effort goes in, and I think. The people making the decisions—I don't think they actually listen or care to to what yeah. the the general people or the the, the people the are looking holders. for. It. Exactly, yeah. you know. I think money talks, unfortunately, and um, you know whoever's pulling the strings there is there's a flow of cash that that is making the decisions, and and I don't have that cash to be making those decisions. So I feel a little Saturn, bit helpless.
1: I, I kind of feel like our community doesn't have a big enough voice to be listened to. Um, for sure. I've been speaking to mountain bikers uh to try and find their secrets, like uh because they seem to have found a system to keep things and to get things uh that off-road people just haven't. So right. if we could steal their secret sauce.
0: <laughs> yeah. and and have you have you had any success? Is it just the sheer number of people that actually mountain bike versus in a motorsports community that they can gather that voice or
1: from what I understand, it's it's got a lot to do with uh, numbers, but organization and uh, them yeah. working multiple communities coming together. Where uh, I feel like uh, off-road sports organizations are competitive, and yeah. uh, they're not working together the way they should until it's too late.
0: That's pretty but, interesting. That's yeah. a that's a really interesting fact. Absolutely, and then I can I totally get it. You know, you look at. <laughs> all the people that run, you know, individual things are likely like competitive racers.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder or whatever the case may be that keeps them from uniting. That's interesting. You never really put that together, but. It's so funny, like the odd time I do run into somebody hiking, you know, when I'm out riding and, you know, just on crown land, not a designated hiking trail or whatever. Uh, it's funny that because I've hiked before and whatever the case is, I'm a person that does all sorts of activities mm-hmm. and the the backlash you get from somebody that you run into or I come into it and I'll go, you know, I stop. I go, oh, Hey guys, like enjoying your day. You're hiking. all cool. Like that's rad. And where, what's your plans? What you up to? and I get stink eye and my picture taken and threatened to be reported because I'm ruining the environment. I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice to meet you. Hope you have a great day. Um, but like if we were to meet in the streets and they didn't know, or make their initial judgment based off me riding a motorcycle, uh, we'd probably get along. But yeah. I don't know what it is about uh, the stereotype or whatever the case is that they think of when they see me on two wheels. But yeah, like I mountain bike, I hike, I do all that stuff. And I ain't got no beef with nobody until they give me a reason to. And so maybe, I don't know if they've got bad experiences or what the case is, but... Must be. Could be.
1: I've, I've had like mostly positive experiences with hikers. And I try to be a nice ambassador. I mean, I can imagine the other kind of guy who just like rides through the trail and hopes they get out of the way. And you You know know. what?
0: I have seen that before. Yeah, And that just pisses me off, too, because we are we are one just because, you know, we're, we're certainly different people. You know, and I you know, if we could all see through the lens of this person is this person and their actions are their own then we probably would not have to worry about it so much. But unfortunately, like, yeah, when you're a dirt biker and you do something silly like that, you are also, you know, putting this name across to every other person that rides a dirt bike. And that's super annoying because, you know, for me, I, I get quite upset when people do silly things on dirt bikes um, in public places, because a, it gives us a, a, a rough name. But if, if I'm with them, my reputation, my source of income in life, everything I have is built around motorcycles. So if I get a bad rap in, in the community based on somebody else's actions, or, you know, let's say even if I, refer, I refuse to do silly things, but, um, you know, if I'm with people, I really push the fact that, um, you know, I'd appreciate if they wouldn't do these sorts of things. Yeah. make these sorts of, of uh, reputations because you know if I get caught in a group of people doing stupid things then you know my reputation I sell motorcycles for a living my entire livelihood is based off motorcycles so I'd appreciate not that to be the case because <laughs> it affects me in a, in a very large
1: way yeah fair enough I'm, I'm um, reading a book by Elspeth beard and uh, she's the first uh, woman in the united kingdom to travel the world on a motorcycle and at this point in the story she entered in the united states she's going through and uh this is like 1982 ish for her um she found it kind of odd as she was going through little towns trying to get gas and things everyone's treating her like crap until she took the helmet off and then they could see she was a girl and everything would switch on a dime but basically the uh the attitude that motorcyclists were assholes Seems to be pretty old. Yeah, yeah.
0: That is, that's it. Yeah. Huh. yeah, Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, we are a badass. Don't get me wrong. But
1: <laughs> Yeah, badass in, the, in a nice way, not asshole. Exactly. Big exactly. difference. Uh, you're selling bikes now?
0: Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm back at a dealership here in Medicine Hat with uh, KTM and Yamahas.
1: It's got to be an easy year to sell stuff since uh, no one can keep anything in stock.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, it is. It's such an interesting thing. Like, it's a problem almost, you know, we can't get things. We could sell more if we had it. Um, but it's cool. I am in. Mean, I kind of in my own little niche down here, I'm far enough away from, from Calgary that I don't really have the uh, the effect of that market. And so I've got to, you know, my plan down here is to create my own little community. Uh, I did it before when I was racing out of here full time and had a good relationship with the dealership. And and yeah, it's, it, it's fun. It's about creating a community of people who you Know passionate about the same things I am. I think it's just a good opportunity for me to do what I love to do and share it with people, and it also ends up being my source of income. So That's it's terrible. a nice little, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, so far, so good. I mean, I, you know, I've been back here for a week and I've been ranching on bikes all day long, building bikes, changing tires, um, selling bikes, and happy as can be. Days are flying by, and it's a uh, yeah, it's like life is cruising right now.
1: Well, you seem pretty happy. You like to look at your face, not that anyone can hear your face, but <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but if
0: you could, what would it look like?
1: <laughs> yeah, big uh, smile.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I am. I, uh, I, I, yeah, I really can't complain. I'm, I'm trying to figure out so many things right now and it's, uh, you know, normally I'd be really stressed out and my, I'd probably start getting crappy sleeps and I, you know, just cause how busy I am and trying to fit it all in and training, but I'm just pumped. I fill out a journal every day with my training, training app that says, do you have a sense of purpose in life and on what scale? And I can drag that sucker to the right every time. 10 out of That's 10. That's awesome. Wake up. Boom. 10 out of 10. Um, and it was a really cool switch. It's all kind of happened when I turned thirty, and it was this funny. Um, it was a really, really good switch where I just was like, "Wow, I can actually look back in life." And you know, similar to our conversation before, where I was just, I was doing, I was doing, I was doing, evaluating, doing, evaluating, doing, evaluating, and trying to figure out, you know, why do I, you know, why am I involved in this, and why did I, this happen in my life, and and why, you know, I, I worked in retail and. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, this opportunity come up and like everything kind of flashed before my eyes. I was like, wow, everything I've done primarily in my life, I has added up small bits of experience to make me really good at this final, you know, and this isn't the last thing I'm going to do. I guarantee you, but it's a big, big thing for me. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's all kind of added up to that. And it's just like, huh, like that's interesting. And I just, it, I, I hate to say it, it was like a switch, you know, it's not that simple, but it, 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 in that moment i was like wow you could wrap up the last 15 years of my life and say it was a puzzle piece that just the last piece just got put in and if that makes sense now that it's all done you can stand back and go wow that's a that's a cool look puzzle that kind of all came together
1: that's awesome it's just mm-hmm. perspective man like you're at i know it's like climbing a mountain you're you're at the summit now and you can just see what what's behind you and what's ahead and, Totally. Uh, and now you have that moment of clarity right like
0: totally uh, you know, I may have hit some false summits in my life where I, I get there and, you know, I just expect that I, you know, I made it to where I was supposed to make it to yeah. and you don't really feel that feeling, but you don't know because you've never been there before. And all of a sudden you turn around and go like, ah, I'm not actually at the summit. I got to keep going. Okay. All right. Rock and roll. Awesome. Let's do this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Life's like that. I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> and I can tell you that even at this point in my life, I feel like I've arrived to a new summit. Uh, older than I thought I would have been. Do you know what I mean? Like when you're younger young right. guy, you just have this dead by 29 kind of attitude Yeah, yeah. and, then, uh, you know, you kick over and then you get over 40 and then whatever I'm same for 50 and 60. Yeah. As long as you keep moving forward, you're, you're alive. So exactly. all of those experiences contribute to the wisdom of today. Right. Like, right. You know, so. Like, I'm glad you can, you can see it at your age. Cause I couldn't, yeah. <laughs> like, it took me another 10 years.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, you know, that goes back to another thing. You know, we don't, nobody knows the, uh, you know, so a lot of things are driv- driving people to stress and anxiety is, you know, they, they figure there's a path that they need to be on or that they're, that they're supposed to be somewhere by a certain age. And, you know, for people who I know people like that and they're just stressed out and it's like, uh, you just got to let it go. You got to let go that there's a determined set time to be somewhere or to do something. Um, you know, wherever that image came from, drop it and sit down and and define your own life and define your own patterns and paths. Um, and just because, it, you know, like you said, you when you feel that, you feel good about it. And I'd rather be delusional and go, I am going to, you know, this is my path and this is where I've been and to be so far fetched and but feel like i'm i'm making progress towards that and i'm going to be there and that you're pursuing that yeah i'd rather be like completely out the lunch but feel good about pursuing things in my life than be stressed out because i thought i should be ha- i should be a ceo by the time I'm 32 years old and now I'm 30 and I'm like, oh my God, there's no way in two years I could be the CEO of a company, blah, 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 Like, you know, all I could think about is be delusional in creating your own life and your own happiness through your pursuits rather than following suit to somebody else's depiction of what you should be doing.
1: Yeah, mean you definitely need to live life on your own terms. I don't know if you try to live up to the image that I have of who you are, you're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> like, because, absolutely. Like, uh, whatever vision I have of it is fault free. Right. And that right. sets an expectation for yourself. That's too hard. Cause you know, you have faults like totally and yeah. and cut yourself some slack. People don't do that often enough.
0: I, I like that. You know, I like cut yourself some slack. I, I, I love to take things like that too. And, and dive a little bit deeper into it. Like, cause I think there's a lot of like cliche sayings in life that are cliches for a reason. And I love this conversation I have with people every once in a while. It's like, Now something as simple as, you know, cut yourself some slack is like, for me, like I'm a very critical individual for my, of myself. I am like beyond critical and it it was a big hindrance for me in a lot of things that I did. I still, to this day, I'm super critical, not confident in certain things, but when you make mistakes, I used to let that stuff just bury me and dwell on it. And for weeks to the point I get like sick to my stomach based on mistakes that I've that I've made and sometimes I don't even know if I've made a mistake, but I think I made a mistake. And so I sit in this worst. I've learned to almost detach myself from my actions in a good way, you know, not like being irresponsible and like killing somebody and being like, oh, that wasn't me. You know, you screw up and yourself of yesterday who screwed up is no longer you of today. Like mm-hmm. you, of today is a new person, you can let go from your actions of that individual and, you know, move forward and not be paralyzed from the thought of your actions. Because I think we're, yeah, we're just so critical on, on that. And, you know, if you make a mistake, you're, you're now a bad person or you're, you're, you know, bad at what you're or you're crappy at what you do. But yeah, I, I had this other moment where I just was able to learn how to detach from the person I was when I made that mistake. And again, I don't know if that's delusional, but that's how
1: I've gone through. And- I don't think it's delusional. I think it's productive. I mean, you know, the like the cliche saying, can't, whatever, no, don't cry over spilt milk, because whatever, yes. you can't can't unring a bell. Um, when that shit happens, it's happened. And like you have to trust that even if you make a mistake, before you make a mistake, you have the data that you have, and you make your decision. And then there's the, the moment of, of realization, whether that was the best decision or the worst decision. You can't change it. None of us have a, a time machine, so... Totally. Mm-hmm. So you just have to live with it. And if, if you spend all your time focused on the things you fucked up on, then that's going to be the center of your thoughts. You're just going to think yeah. you fucked up all the time. Exactly. Make I love that thing.
0: Don't cry over spilt milk. I had to write that one down on my whiteboard, something I can read every day.
1: That's all right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that I have a gift of of uh, throwing out little lines.
0: <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. it. Anytime you hear some, some good little liners, I usually feel my drive to and from the offer road which I drive to ride a couple hours at a time right now. But like I fill it up with just thinking about the small cliche sayings in life, where they came from and how they're still very applicable to today. My friend and I we were, we drove the other day, a quite a long ways. And at the entire time, like for a good hour, I was like Googling common cliche
1: sayings. Just and I was- try fortune cookie sayings, man. Ooh. That'd be a good <laughs> one too. Yeah. Cause they're the same thing. Yeah. It's just like, uh, uh, different perspective, but it resonates because it, it has value, right? Like, uh, it's just that little hallway pep talk kind of thing that you'd have with, uh, a mentor and, yep. uh, you know, just nice little tidy package. Totally. Six days you, you've raced it. How, how do you prepare for something like that? And then how do you, how do you get through it?
0: The six days is interesting. Cause you're on the bike for, you know, six, eight hours a day kind of thing. And you're, you're driving an hour in these transfer sections where you're kind of riding at that 80 80 percent pace get to a special test and then you got to go absolutely balls to the walls for 12 to 18 minutes kind of thing and then you got to bring your bring yourself back down to that 80 percent for the next hour and you get to your next special test and then go all out again for that time frame and so preparing for it i mean you just got to be able to go fast in those special tests be smooth you don't want to crash that that's where all of your time is is made up is in those is those tests it's the shorter the time frame, you can do the the better on the scorecard kind of like golf. So, you know, if you want to do really well at six days, as far as placing goes, you've got to be fast and that stuff. Uh, if you just want to finish and I find a six days relatively, I, I don't want to take anything away from people, but like relatively straightforward to finish a six days, you got to stay 20, 29 minutes on the, on the lead t- on the course time. You can't fall back from that. So granted, you don't have any major, uh, bike failures or anything like that. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to stay on time and, and finish a, a six day. Um, but yeah, to do really well, it just got to go fast. And so, yeah, so training for that, I've done a lot of, a lot of like high intensity stuff where I can learn to get my heart rate super, super high, uh, in those special test moments and then breathe, bring myself back down to being calm because you can't live at 180 beats per minute for uh, six hours on a day or eight hours on a day. You be so taxed, yeah, and so it's a, lo- a lot about bringing that back up and down, and keeping your mental clarity, and and being able to suffer s- to some degree through that day, and still be able to perform in that. Um, you know, I would say six to eight hours on a bike alone without worrying on how to go fast in that is probably taxing enough hard. for most people already. Um, just sitting there, I mean, your butt hurts. The first one I did, you just got to learn not to sit down so much in the transfer sections because gets a little raw you know and then yeah i mean it's it's kind of a mental game at that point as long as you can go fast and stay mentally fit throughout the day you're you're gonna do well uh and then yeah getting through it is yeah honestly mental game i've um, you know, my last six days that I did first day made a little mistake in the transfer section. I just, my brain plugged out for a minute. I was just sitting down trying to regain my energy after a test and, um, hit a little tree stump that I didn't see. And I was sitting down one hand off the bar, just oh. trying to regain my, uh, composure and went over the bars, slammed into the ground and, and sprained my wrist and was in the, in the hospital that evening. And then, yeah, I had to wake up the next day. And just forget about it, and you know, tape my wrist up and pretend like nothing happened, and, and go out there again, and and just perform. And I think that's that's it. You know, to actually get through six days, you gotta prepare what you can do. Prepare preparation. You know, is, is everything in that point. But once you're there, all you can really do is just be mentally fit, pushing through and suffering through, and and just kind of whatever comes your way, you got to deal with it and um, just overcome.
1: Yeah, overcome. Yeah, that sounds legit. How how do you deal with the little voice in your head, the one that tells you, you shouldn't be there?
0: Uh you kind of normalize it because the first time I think that little voice lives in us every day, right? Yeah. Um, every time I ride, you know, you get into a three-hour ride, that little voice comes up and goes, Oh, like this is too hard. Like, you should just turn here at the shortcut home. It's super easy um to just go home and yeah, that. So you just kind of normalize that little voice and saying like, when it comes up, it's normal. Because if you think that that little voice is real and it, it controls what you do, like it, it'll take everything you have. And so when, on a daily basis, I know that little voice comes up. In in fact, an hour what time have we got here? Two hours ago, I was heading to the gym. Uh, I was having dinner with my parents and and it was a great opportunity for me to just sit and chill but I knew I had my gym scheduled for 7 45 and in my little head literally came or the little little voice said hey you know how easy it would be if you just skipped tonight's training session and hung out with your parents you, you know that would be really easy right nobody would know you wouldn't have to tell anybody And literally, I was like, who is this little person talking in my head right now? Like, and I was like, you're right, it would be I could do it, I could get away with it. And absolutely, nobody would know, because I wouldn't tell anybody. And as that was going through my head, I was like, putting on my gym shorts, putting on my coat, grabbing my keys and going out to drive to the gym. Because I was like, yeah, that's funny. Like, but it's just an example of like, yeah, absolutely. No one would know any different besides you. And so when you learn to overcome that little voice on a daily basis, hourly basis, minutely, like however often you got to do it, it's just, you got to accept that th- it's not that you're never going to have that voice. It's always going to be
1: there. It's always there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's always you there. you got to accept that and just like understand it's part of, it's part of the game. Uh, it's, you know, whatever it is as hu- us as homo sapiens, whatever species we are that learn to have this subconscious thought in our brain. You know, it's it's a form of protection, right? Our bodies, when we feel uncomfortable and we don't want to do things, you know, we're we're bred or you know we're uh, conditioned, evolved, conditioned, yeah, evolved, yeah, to to just be. We're not we're not conditioned or evolved to be spectacular. We're just to no. be, we're just here to survive, you know. Yeah. And I think learning about that stuff really helped me too. You know, you can normalize that little little voice because it's not wrong it's just doing exactly what your body was of, of made t- and thought to do and mm-hmm. every time something's hard it's gonna go yeah like save yourself don't you know what, what happens Wait. if what happens if you exert all this energy on this this uh this fun thing you want to do or this trading session and then all of a sudden this tiger comes out and it's gonna chase you down it's like well that don't happen no more so we don't need to conserve our energy in case that saber-toothed tiger comes out of the bush and chases down.
1: No, it's more like camp. a home invader.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, and uh, we still got more. If a home invader comes to my house after a workout. Look up. I still yeah. got some left in the tank. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. I think, you know, for me, I just have to normalize it and understand that it's just a form of protection. And uh, it's there for a reason, but I ain't listening today.
1: Yeah, I get that little voice when whenever I start on a, on a long ride. And uh, we're mm. not friends. Like,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. You almost got to to nickname that little voice. I don't know any, you know, pick a name that's like annoying, but also fun to say. <laughs>
1: yeah. Sebastian. Sorry, yeah, Sebastian, you if you're go. listening. Yeah. <laughs> yep. How did you decide, like, I guess, how did you choose to go for off-road and, and stop with, with MX?
0: Um, I actually kind of like more of a happenstance scenario. I, in I raced the national series for like four or five years mm-hmm. and on my fifth year, you know, I was kind of breaking into the top 10 and, but I wasn't really, didn't think I was really good enough to go any further. And so I quit. I said, I'll quit. And I went back to school and decided to, to move on with uh, racing race motorcycles and just get a job and do my thing. And like a couple of months into going to school after you know hanging up the boots uh i got a call from the uh what at the time he was uh kind of managing not managing but trying to help build the six days team and they wanted some some people from the motocross scene to kind of cross over into the isde side of things because somebody with some more like grass grass track speed some motocross speed um to start building uh, you know maybe some of the uh quicker six days teams that, that they've tried. And so th- in that, you know, my name ended up being on the list of people that, you know, because I did I did race some off-road when I was younger and my dad's got lots of heritage in it. And um so um yeah I just happened to be one of the guys that again developing relationships in life yeah. you know that end up coming through. Uh I was on the, the call list and um I had known a couple of, of the guys that were running the team and I was like got asked if I wanted to do it. And at that point, literally it was two months into to school and I thought I was done and I, I couldn't turn the opportunity down. And so uh, it was another like, got the phone call, didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Absolutely. And, <laughs> um, and then th- that started it all.
1: It's It sounds like you you have a hard time saying no to opportunity. Is this yeah. painted you in any corners? You got you in any trouble?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, probably, um,
1: probably, <laughs> At least probably
0: more trouble than, than good. Um, but you know, the good outweighs the, the trouble the so much yeah. that I don't even know if I could really put my name or my, my finger on a scenario where, you know, I, I can certainly tell you I've spent a lot of money, uh, in things that, you know, haven't paid off or whatever the case is. Um, uh, let's see. That That's a good question. I mean, let's talk about ex girlfriends, <laughs> uh, and the reason I'm single now. <laughs>
1: yeah, fair enough. Eh?
0: Like... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, nothing too, 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 too serious, and I, I think uh, that's probably why I'm still very much a yes person because I, you know, I maybe I haven't been burnt quite hard enough, but um, uh, certainly. I certainly have in in you know yeah. even in racing like, um when you know the my own question was like oh should we race this arena cross after not riding for the last six months or training or doing anything but sitting on the couch and drinking beer
1: off the couch uh, racing
0: <laughs> yeah and that certainly has bit me in the ass uh when the last arena cross I tried to race and got that concussion and I just you know, that, that sort of thing for sure. I've, I've been bitten in that degree quite
1: a bit. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. I want to thank my guests for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. A special thank you to you, my supporters. Without you, this would not be possible. If you enjoyed the show, give it a five-star rating. And if you haven't already, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to take the three episode challenge. Once again, thank you for your continued support and stay tuned to find out what's coming up next time.